Hello there, welcome to a brand new Arsblog Arscast right here on Arsblog.com. How are you? Hope you're well. If you're wondering why I'm talking a bit, well, if it sounds a bit strange, A, it's because I've had this weird sore throat thing all week, which has made me sound quite ill, but I haven't haven't necessarily felt ill. Uh, and the other reason is that it's 6am on Friday morning, and this is the second intro to this particular podcast. The other reason I'm speaking quite slowly is that my office in the house is upstairs, and uh, across the hall is the uh, the blogette's bedroom, my daughter's bedroom. Um, she's home for Christmas, and she's probably asleep. I don't necessarily want to I don't want to wake her up, but I did the intro yesterday because I was in town, in the uh, city centre of Dublin, doing my final bits of Christmas shopping. And you know, as is the custom this time of year, you, you go for you go for a pint. That's just what happens. It's Thursday afternoon. It's two o'clock, or what? You know, why not? Let's go for a pint. So I went for a pint, and then had another pint, and uh, then had another pint. And then called into a friend to drop off a Christmas bottle of wine. And they opened a bottle of wine. So we drank the wine. And then by the time I got home, I was feeling quite lubricated, I think you would say. And uh, proceeded to do the the intro to the podcast. Waffled for a good 10 or 12 minutes. But on reflection, I'm not sure that I want to put that out. I woke up this morning. I won't say I had like chills or the fear. It was just like, do I really want to put that out? I mean, there's nothing wrong with it. I didn't call anybody any terrible names. I didn't suddenly discover a a love for Phil Collins and perform an acoustic medley of his hits. None of that. I I just figured it's probably better not not to put that out. Some point in the future, perhaps when I'm dead, someone will find the Arse Blog Arsecast Lost Recordings. There have been a number of those, I have to say, down the years where I've probably got behind the mic when I shouldn't have. And uh, yeah, it's it's pretty much unbroadcastable. But, uh, you know, it is the uh, 23rd of December. It is a Friday. We've got Christmas on Sunday. I know not everybody who listens to this podcast does Christmas, but over here, that's what's going on this week. So it's going to be a pretty, um, I won't say short, perhaps truncated would be a good word. It's just going to be a, a fairly bog standard arsecast, just to just to kind of give you something to listen to. I'll be chatting to Tim Stillman. I'm all right with putting that bit out. I, I spoke to Tim after I'd done the intro, but I seem to seem to be able to hold it together a bit better. Again, there was nothing particularly wrong with it. It was just it was just not good enough. I think if you listen to this show on a regular basis, you'll know that my commitment, my strive for for professional perfection, almost, is what drives me as a content producer guy. Is that what they call them these days? Writer, blogger, podcaster, content producer, content churner, outer, I don't know. I don't know, but that's it. That's it. I have to make these decisions, and, and here we are. And it's been, you know, it's been a difficult enough week, has it not? From an Arsenal point of view, it's not been great. Two losses, two very disheartening losses. Nine points behind the leaders. Happy Christmas, everyone. But look, things could change. It is not beyond the realms of possibility that that things can get better. As D. Ream said, they can't only get better, they can also get worse. So I don't necessarily hold 
any truck with the title of their song, but, you know, they, they had a had an optimistic outlook. Cheery, jaunty, poppy, optimistic outlook. Where are they now? Where are they now? Where's the... Well, the guy, the one guy's doing all the science stuff, isn't he? Dr. Brian Cox. He's everywhere doing his science stuff all over the place. But where's the other guy? Did things get better for him, the singer? I don't know. I think I'm going to Google that now. Where is the singer from D-Ream now? D-Ream. See? You, you, you Google this. Where is the singer for D-Ream? And the first three or four results are Brian Cox on keyboards. Nobody cares. No, there doesn't appear to be much here. I'm just looking at his Wikipedia. His name was Peter Cunna. Uh, from Derry in Northern Ireland. One of the last entries in his Wikipedia on his solo work it said he sang lead vocals on Chicane's 2003 single Love on the Run, which reached number 33 in the United Kingdom and number 43 in Ireland. Mm, it's, it's, it hasn't got better, has it? And things have probably got a lot worse for him. Maybe he's happy, though. Who am I to say? You can't judge your your happiness by your success in the pop charts. But maybe if you're a pop singer, you do. I don't know. I don't know. But that's that's by the by. I'm talking about Arsenal. And we do have a uh, run of fixtures which are relatively kind and pretty winnable, you'd have to say. Do those of us with long memories remember how we were 13 points behind the leaders in 1997 at Christmas time? There was a need to be afraid back then because we were 13 points behind the leaders. And then, of course, we went on this incredible run of winning games, a bit like the run that Chelsea's on at the moment. Win, 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 win. Went to Old Trafford, won. Oh, yeah. And then we won the title, won the double. That was good. I enjoyed that. You know, I'd like for us to do that a bit more often. This season, in fact, would be a very good time to to repeat that. Whether or not we're going to repeat that, I I just don't know. But uh, we'll talk to Tim about that in in just a moment. But before we do that, i got to talk to you a little bit about FanDuel, which is one-day fantasy football. And if you're any good at fantasy football, you can win win real money. You enter the competitions, you pick your team for one week only, and if your team gets enough points, you get cash. What you do with that cash is entirely up to you. You could buy nice things for for your family. Or you could use it to to get away from your family and start again. Start that new life you've always wanted. Open up an oyster shack on the beach. Look beside you and there's another oyster shack. Oh, hey, aren't you the guy from D-Ream? Things did get better for you. God damn it. And if you want to play with uh, FanDuel, they're giving you a great offer. If you deposit £10, they will give you £20. That's £5 every single week for the next four weeks to play with and to enter the competitions and to win the money. All you got to do is go to fanduel.co.uk, sign up using the code arsblog30. That's arsblog30. So you deposit £10, they give you £20 to play with, which gives you more chances to win the prizes on offer. You can also get the uh, apps for iOS and for Android. So check it out, fanduel.co.uk, sign up, deposit £10, get £20 by using the code arsblog30. And I wish you Christmas and festive good luck if you're going to play. Hopefully uh, Arsenal can do the business and hopefully you come away with some uh, some cash in your pocket. So there you go. Uh, right. Well, look, um, enough of this waffle. 
I'm not sure this waffle was any better than the waffle I did last night. But there you go. Uh, decisions, decisions, eh? So let's do it. Let's um, let's talk to Tim Stillman about all the stuff and Arsenal and Ozil and everything else. It's uh, it's good chatter. I think you'll enjoy it. I'll catch you on the far side. Let's start by talking about Mesut Ozil, a man mm-hmm. <laughs> who's, been, who's been making quite a few headlines this week, not for the reasons that you would normally associate with Mesut Ozil, but, uh, you know, it's fair to say that he hasn't had a great week. Arsenal haven't had a great week, but he seems to have become something of a lightning rod for the criticism. Um, you know, is it down to his price tag? Is it down to him very obviously not doing the things that perhaps he should have done or... Or, or what exactly is it? How are you viewing what's going on with Messi at the moment? It's it's probably a mixture of all of those things. I think the thing is, after the Everton game, you know, he he missed that fairly presentable chance, and then obviously, um, you know, at the end he kind of lets Ashley Williams. Uh, well, that's probably a generous description. He lets Ashley Williams go. He you know he more or less waves him through. Mm. Um, and you know you 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 get that image at the end of the game, which pretty much loses us the game. And then, you know, you, you look and I, I listened to the Ask, Ask Ask Extra in the wake of that game and James was saying something about, well, would really like to see Ozil kind of really put in a performance at Man City now. And obviously he didn't quite do that. And, mm. you know, that, that clip went viral of him kind of strolling through the midfield. I, I thought that was a little bit unfair um, as he was pretty bad against against City. But I think it was... It's, it's quite obvious that it was a tactic that Arsenal deployed deliberately to stand off of Man City because when you look at the clip, yes, it doesn't look great for him. He's ambling around, but it's not like his teammates are, you know, really kind of stretching themselves yeah. either. Yeah. He's, he's far from the only one in that clip that's kind of just moving from side to side. So, I mean, but isn't the standing around thing that that's okay when you're 1-0 up or... Yeah, you know, but when you're when you've just gone down, you you're looking for not just Mesut Ozil, of course, but all the players to yeah. to be a bit more on it than they were. Yeah, yeah, definitely, and that's you know that, and I think people look for that from Ozil quite understandably, you know, to to kind of drive us forward. Obviously, not in the kind of Roy Keane, um, you know, fist clenching way, but to to give us a little bit of inspiration. I think the thing is as well for for Arsene Wenger, I mean, this is potentially difficult for him to handle because, you know, this is quite sensitive because he's trying to get him to sign a contract as well. But, you know, if you're Wenger, you're looking at that and you're kind of saying, do you know what, we defensively, we do pay a little bit of a price for giving you this wonderful free role that you have. Mm. And actually, most of the time, you're very, very worth it because of what you produce offensively. But, you know, we do we do suffer a little bit by having you in the centre of the pitch and we don't really ask for an awful lot from you, certainly not defensively. We don't ask you to mark players. We don't ask you to run around and put tackles in. But, you know, 
meters halfway a little bit don't wave a guy through when there's a corner (laughs) with four minutes to go yeah don't you know stand in the center circle because we already pay a little bit of you know almost like a tax yeah for having you there and your central midfield colleagues are quite overworked because we give you this free role so you know perhaps meet them halfway Tr- like a tr- bit. yeah trying to find the balance and like okay you you don't necessarily want Mesut Ozil to be the guy who's there marking not necessarily even marking Ashley Williams but tasked with uh, trying to put him off because of our zonal system, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. Like, I think you could make a very valid point that he is not the guy that should no. be doing that. So there's perhaps an organisational thing that you can look at in in the bigger picture. But if and when he does find himself in that position, you, it, yeah. I don't think it's unfair to expect a little bit more from him. No, exactly. And and actually, what's quite frustrating about our setup for that Everton goal as well is at that point we had Olivier Giroud on the pitch. Um, he goes you know, near I post, know, doesn't he? He, he? he tends to go near post. It, well, exactly, yeah. I know he kind of takes up that position on the near post and quite obviously because that's where a lot of corners end up going. But, you know, you do look at that and you think maybe Ozil on the post and mm. Giroud on the penalty spot yeah. um, might interrupt our setup a little bit, but it must be preferable. Um, and it is a bit of a concern that nobody really took control of that situation um, at the time, so I, you know, I think Özil deserves criticism for what he's produced in the last two games, but he's far from alone in that. And there are questions really to be asked about um, the the way we're set up. And and another thing, the manager might broach in this kind of sensitive, come on, Mesut, you know, try and give us a bit more discussion. Is he, you know, he might have to say to him, look, for these kind of big games, we might have to put you out on the wing if you're going to insist. Mm. kind of doing this which you don't want we don't really want because you know we put you where we put you for for very very good reasons but it's too much of a price to pay if you know it's it's a bit like having Ozil there it's a bit like from a defensive point of view having 2.5 midfielders sure I'm a, but which I mean is like, yeah. but it's like try and keep it at 2.5 and not have it slip down to like 2.1 or yeah. 2.2 <laughs> you know? uh, but I mean isn't the bigger thing though like if you want to criticise Mesut Ozil for the last couple of games I think that's that's quite reasonable as long as you keep it within the context of those two games and you don't overlook what he's done for, for the rest of the season but when you expand that when you when you look at the bigger picture it's Arsenal's record in these big games away from home against Tottenham, against Manchester City, against Manchester United, against Liverpool, against Chelsea, where there's a definite issue. And I know you touched on it in your column this week on on the blog uh, about the ability to cope with pressing. Uh, and I think that's a very valid point. But I think, you know, not all teams play in that way. You couldn't necessarily no. say that Manchester United played that way when we went to Old Trafford even this season. But there, there, there's there's a bigger issue beyond Mesut Ozil, beyond pressing, beyond any of it, mm. is that this is a team that, that has an issue, whether it's footballistically or psychologically. It's got an issue with these big games away from home that the performance of one man is probably not going to change. Indeed, and I, and I think actually Ozil maybe for once has taken a little bit of the focus off of Arsene Wenger, which is really saying something because <laughs> people never get tired of talking about him. Um, and th- the thing I think that's frustrated me 
Um, you know, we, we all know by now, we're all so familiar with Arsene and we know by now that he does this thing where he relies on the players' self-determination, their ability to work things out for themselves. Mm. And I think what you've got at the moment in the Premier League is, you know, we've got at that top level, there's a different class of coach here at the moment. The likes of Klopp, Guardiola, Conte coming over and, you know, again, both games in Manchester... The, the Sterling goal and the Matter goal, they were they were well in the post five or ten minutes before they were scored. Mm. Um, and you're really looking at the manager then to add some value and look at it and think, right, I've got to do something. It doesn't have to be a substitution. It can just be an instruction to relay a slight change in shape. Because at the moment, when we play those big teams, we're up against that quality of manager and they do that and you look at Guardiola on Sunday I, I don't think City were that impressive I think it was quite obvious they're still a bit low on confidence otherwise yeah. I think they'd have beaten us more convincingly but Guardiola saw it wasn't working at half time and he made a change and he affected the game and he was effectively a 12th man and that's what's happening now against these bigger clubs they've mm. got really really good managers that can do this and, and even Conte, even when we beat Chelsea, um, you know, we beat them very convincingly, our best performance of the season. But even then, Conte made the change during that game um, that, you know, turned their season around. It was too late to turn the game around, but he still was thinking, right, this is my excuse now to go for the, you know, the 3-4-3, which he probably wanted to do since the start of the season. But maybe there was some resistance to that idea and he thought, right, I'm going to do this now. And they've played it ever since and they've won every game. So mm. even though he couldn't rescue that game, he was still adding value from the sidelines. And sure. I just wonder if this relying on the players' initiative really, really works in these <laughs> games. Yeah, I mean, is there an element perhaps of like of us sitting here and looking at that and seeing, let's say, Guardiola making a halftime change? And, we, you know, we make the jokes about Arsene Wenger doing the 71st minute change, et cetera, et cetera, mm. et cetera. You know, I, I, w he is sort of wedded to that in a way. And is there an mm. element of us looking for a leopard to change his spots to a certain extent yeah. in, in that, like, these are, these are you, you talk about uh, uh, Conte, you talk about Klopp, you talk about Guardiola, you talk about even Pochettino, for example, these are young guys. These are young managers who are, what, 15, maybe 20 years younger than Arsene Wenger in a couple of cases. That, mm. you know, we're looking for him to do what these guys are doing, but they're they're a different generation. They're almost a different yeah. breed. And also, there's, there's also an element, got to keep it in some perspective. Again, because we know Arsene so well, we know how he's wired and what he does. Um, we only really look at his methods when we lose. When you know when we beat Chelsea three 0 nobody said this you know, is myself included. This is a yeah, brilliant we, point. That's a yeah. brilliant point. I just said it to like somebody today that like when we win, nobody looks at why it is that we've won. Nobody yeah. tries yeah. to explore the reasons why we've won. But when we lose, there are like countless theories. Oh, it's the it's the contract talks. But with yeah, the best yeah. players that are the problem. It's the contract talks with the manager that's the best. It's the system. It's this. It's that. You know, we're, we're actually seeking answers, um, which is understandable. I mean, it's just part mm. of it. But, it, you know, you can, you can come up with any kind of theory, I guess, after we lose a game. But, like, when we win, nobody's, nobody cares. Yeah, exactly. No, nobody looked at, you know, the 3-0 against Chelsea and said, oh, that's because Arsenal leaves it up to the players. Yeah. Um, you know, which, which it could well have been, um, for all we know. 
but you don't like you say you don't go looking for those answers after a three nil win. You just say, "Weren't we brilliant?" and laugh at Chelsea. Um, whereas you know the the kind of the soul searching and and the analysis, and we all do it. It it all happens when we lose. Um, but nevertheless, I, I mean, I suppose from my own point of view, I've got a bit of a beer in my bonnet about the bringing Giroud on against Everton, for example, which, I mean, to me, not only did it not make sense from an attacking point of view, but it put us under pressure defensively because Everton was starting to just knock the ball forward from their centre-halves mm. and taking Alexis away from that zone to put them under pressure just looked like suicide um, to me and it just did have the feeling of a substitution that Wenger probably thought of the day before yeah. um, without really taking account of what was happening in the game. Um, that said, that that's not really hurt us to this point this season, so that's not the only reason that we've lost those games. I think there's probably an element of fatigue in there as well mm. and maybe you can question the decision to play, you know, pretty much a full-strength team in Basel, um, you know, in, in, in hindsight. So I, th- I think there's there's a lot more to it. There's a lot more to it than Arsene Menger, and there's a lot more to it than Mesut Ozil. So how do you view the last week then? Um... Is it just one of those weeks where two bad games have really changed the perception and changed the way people think about the way this team has been going? Or is it, uh, I mean, two difficult away games, you'd have to say, and we've had like a a relatively uh, challenging, what a challenging, but we've had a a busy fixture schedule. We've played more games than uh, Everton, for example. Or is it like the old familiar failings coming home to roost that when the pressure's on, we've... We've just found it too tough to to, to get ourselves going. I I think, again, it could be a mixture of both. And and I think we'll really see um, probably when we go to Chelsea, because I think we'll I think we'll do really well in the next six games or so. Um, And I think there's a good chance that we could go to Stamford Bridge, maybe four or five points behind Chelsea, maybe Mm. cut that that gap down a little bit. Um, And if that happens, then we'll see, I think, whether... It's just a question of pressure, whether it's just a question of, of two difficult games in a week. Um, what, what's really the weird thing about it is, you know, after the Stoke game, we were talking about how Arsenal have come from behind to win six times this season. And then, you know, in the space of a week, we go ahead twice and lose both games. Um, so <laughs> may, maybe we're just better off going one nil down. I don't know. Yeah. Um, but... I think the kind of problem, whether this proves to be a problem for the team, um, I don't know. Maybe it's just a problem for us talking about it on the internet all day long. But the problem is that um, that cynicism will come back no matter how Arsenal do in the next six six games, even if they win all six of those quite winnable fixtures. Everyone's just going to say, yeah, well, it's it's because, you know, we're playing riffraff again. And once the pressure comes on... um, you know they'll they'll fold again and they'll probably go to Stamford Bridge and lose two 0 and have one shot on target. I mean it's it's not an unreasonable point of view it's to not, hold though, it, is it? After two years, not, I mean it's it's January 2015 so it was the last time we beat one of the big teams away from home. I know I know not all of the games have been uh, tragic, terrible losses, but you know mm. it's been two years. 
for this Arsenal team since they went away from home against one of the big teams, or we would consider one of the big teams or one of the more difficult teams in the league, and won. And you know, as uh, you know, as easy as it is to fall into that kind of trope. Okay, they're flat track bullies, or we can do it when you know we're playing this opposition. But when the pressure's on, we can't necessarily do it. You know, it, it's easy to go that way. But there is, there's certainly a measure of truth to that. And until such time as this team can like come out and and make that statement in a game where you go, let's say you go one nil up against Man City after five minutes and then you score that second goal before halftime and like the, the you know, City have to come forward and you, you put another goal, you know, until you have that kind of win under your belt, those questions are going to remain about this team. They are. And, but, you know, whether this is an upside or a downside, they've got plenty of opportunities to answer them because um, we've still <laughs> yeah. got to go to Anfield. We've still got to go to Stamford Bridge. We've still got to go to White Hart Lane. Oh. Um, so, you know, those those big questions are going to recur um, on a few occasions yet. And if you want to throw in Bayern as well, um, we're making our yearly trip there as mm. well. So, you know, the, the the players can look at that one or two ways. They can say, well, we've got plenty of opportunities to really put this right um, and really correct the kind of cynicism around us or they can take it as pressure mm. um, and it's you know it's, it's it's worth making the point obviously that these games are very very difficult to win um, and you know therefore a run of two years it, it's I think it's worse than it should be but you know most teams don't win those games but when you look at the teams that win the league they usually win at least one of those games. And, yeah. it's, and it's usually winning one of those games becomes a launch pad as well. So yeah. like when we won it in 2002, I think we went to Anfield and won with 10 men and you could see the change. In oh, them. that was they that really started to believe that, that was they were that going to do it. That Freddie Umberg goal, like yes. one of the, one of the best Arsenal goals under Arsene Wenger, in my opinion. That one where yeah. that was where Perez and, left Gerard for dead and crossed at Jumberg scored the right. near post. Yeah, and you you could see that, that yeah that was really really galvanised because I think they just lost before that home to Newcastle and they didn't lose again all season and I think that win and that's what those wins can be really really useful for um, as well and and I think now looking at the squad. I think I said fairly blithely in a blog a couple of weeks ago, I said that Man City's squad was was better than ours and lots of people challenged me on that. And then I looked at it and I thought, yeah, I'm not I'm actually I'm I'm not sure it is. Um and I'm looking at our squad and I'm thinking, I think on paper we've got a really, really good claim to mm. say we have the best squad in the league. Whether we've got the best team, um or mentality I, I, or or whatever, yeah, yeah. Yeah, but the the playing staff, um, you know, this, this isn't a team that should be kicking around third or fourth place. Um, I don't think it's it's all very close up there, and obviously there's lots of quality players in in all of those sides that we're challenging with. But player for player, you've got to say there's not really much of an excuse anymore. Even though, yeah, you know, there are competitors that have more money than us. I mean, I, I don't necessarily think that translates into them having better squads at this point anymore. I think what yeah. we've done over probably the last 18 months in the transfer market has, has been very good. And mm. I like the way this squad has been built and it, it just gives us fewer excuses. Yeah. Um, I think. So, I mean, is there something perhaps to be said for, for it happening now for this, whatever little blip we've had hope, hopefully it is just a little mm. blip, 
But is there something to be said for it happening at this point of the season where there's still time to turn it around? Because if yep. you, you, you spoke about the Chelsea game and the 3-0 and everyone at that time was saying, well, is Antonio Conte the real deal? Is he the guy who can who can do it for Chelsea? And I, I think you have to look at, A, how quickly the the point situation has changed. Uh, you know, we were yeah. top of the league on a Saturday night. Chelsea went ahead of us on the Sunday and in the space of a week, you know, they're nine points ahead. And that's because of the, the fixture pileup to a certain extent, but also the way that people think that how quickly it's changed. Just like if you had said to people before the two defeats, should we sign Mesut Ozil on 300 grand a week? There wouldn't have been yeah. too many people arguing with you. They would have been saying, just do it because he's so important. Um, that there is, is that there's an element of, okay, when it's good, it's not as good as you think but when it's bad it's not quite as bad as you think either and we yeah. do have time to 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 uh, to turn things around and perhaps for this squad to sort of take stock of itself and say look well what is it that we want to do do we really want to win this league and and how do we do that um you know a little bit of introspection i think might be not necessarily a bad thing yeah yeah certainly and and i think I think I think there's two things to consider as well. There's, there's definitely plenty of time, and like you say, things change very, very quickly. They've flipped on their head in a week, and that can that can go the other way as well. I think there's there's two things um, really to consider here. First of all, you know Chelsea have had this advantage of not playing in the Champions League um, until February. That advantage is gone um, because the Champions League has stopped now. Yeah. So now Chelsea and Liverpool are playing just as regularly as the rest of us. And they're not getting a seven day break, um, between games for the next couple of weeks. So that kind of advantage they've had, um, is effectively wiped out. And I think it's really important to eat into the lead while that's still true, because once it comes around to mid February, March again, mm. they get that advantage back effectively. So we need to be, very, very close um, at that stage. I think the other thing is as well is we've got some senior players um, that hopefully should be returning quite soon. And, you know, the likes of Per Mertesacker and Danny Welbeck and whether, you know, they'll go straight into the starting eleven. I, I'm not necessarily sure they will. Mertesacker, I'm, I'm sure, won't. Welbeck might be eyeing up that, that left side of the, that spot on the kind of left side of the attack. But um, it's more what they bring in terms of their experience and possibly their mentality. You know, Welbeck's won big trophies. And, you know, he, he was the one really last year who who reignited, albeit briefly, our title charge. He scored mm. important goals. He scored that goal against Leicester. He scored at Old Trafford in, you know, a quite miserable performance. He was one of the few exceptions. He scored yeah. a goal at Goodison Park against Everton. So he might be someone who you know, at the kind of uh, nitty-gritty end of the season can really give us something. And, you know, Wenger talks a lot about Mertesacker's importance in the dressing room. And obviously he hasn't been around because he's been getting treatment. So whether he plays or not, I suspect he won't play very much, but his presence might give us something as well. So, yeah. you know, we, we have there there are things on the horizon that can help us, particularly because I do think we've looked a little bit leggy in recent weeks and having those players back mm. um, will be very important. So what are you looking for then, uh, very briefly before we finish on, on Monday, in terms of, let's say, squad selection? Is mm. there 
a need to perhaps just remind people who were picked in those games against Everton and Manchester City that, okay, look, I don't think anybody could have had any real objections to the starting 11s in either of those games. But when those players don't perform the way that they should, is there you know room to maneuver in terms of bringing other players in and just say, look, uh, you know, your, your place is not sacrosanct, but also in terms of the attitude and the 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 intangibles. I know that you were talking early in the week on Twitter about this sort of stuff that, you know, the, the, the lack of desire or the apparent lack of desire from the performance, it's obviously very hard to measure. You know, you can't, mm. you can't sort of, uh, Opta are brilliant and they do amazing stats, but they don't know how up for it each player is. You yeah. know, yeah. there's no uh, stat for wanting it or, or, or all that. So, but, but there is, it's, it's sort of easy to, to see when that stuff is missing. When you don't yeah. see it on the pitch, you can see that that's missing. So, so what are you expecting against a West Brom side that I guess under Tony Pulis are going to be obdurate, to say the least? Yeah, I I have a feeling he's going to pick exactly the same eleven. You um, think really? West Brom. Yeah, yeah. Oh. Well, I think over over the seasonal period, he's going to have to rotate, and he's got the players to do it. So the likes of El Nenny, Lucas Perez, Kieran Gibbs, I'm certain they will get games. Um, I think it's more likely that he'll, you know, against Palace and Bournemouth, we might see, mm. you know, some short rotation. But I think against West Brom, he might pick exactly the same team. And wow. whether that's because he thinks that's the best team, or whether it's it's him saying, right, you've got like one chance here to really, because there's loads of guys on the bench who are more than happy to take your place. Yeah. Um, so, you know, this this is your chance to kind of put right what went wrong um, in the last two games. And, you know, they have got eight days, I suppose, between the City game and West Brom. So, I, I mean, personally, I would probably look to make two or three changes, maybe Lucas Perez in for, for Walcott. And, mm. um, you know, not to ostracise those particular players, but I think it might do us good to freshen things up sure. a bit. So, Elneny, Lucas Perez, Kieran Gibbs, um, I'd, I'd be more than happy with that. Yeah. Um, but I, I've just got this feeling he's going to pick exactly the same 11. And then in the two games after, we might see a little bit of the short rotation. Mm. I'm a, Yeah, that's interesting. I mean, I would certainly be minded to make a couple of changes for the West Brom game. But, you know, it would be very Arsene Wenger to to keep yeah. faith with those players particularly you know because you've got Crystal Palace then then Bournemouth uh, and the Crystal Palace game provides a bit of a a chance to rest players as well but I, I think I think we probably need to do that I think we need to rotate a few at least for the for the West Brom mm. game but uh, you know either way I think uh, well hopefully we, we've got too much for them but Tim we better leave it there thanks very much indeed uh, very happy Christmas to you and yours and uh, we'll catch you again in the new year pleasure and to you and the listeners as well you can find Tim on Twitter at Stilberto that's at Stilberto and of course his column here on Arsblog is published every single Thursday so uh, make sure you check that out some top notch Arsenal writing as is true of all our columnists and all the stuff that we do here on the site of course Arsblog and Arsblog News and uh, I'm thinking of uh, making a property website Arsblog Muse that would be quite good and then maybe some footwear, Arsblog shoes. And then Arsblog sells his own vomit on the internet, Arsblog spews. I don't think that one will work. There'll be a very niche market. 
I have to say. Uh, so look, you know, myself and Tim have covered pretty much everything there. I don't think there's anything else I need to talk about other than, of course, we're playing West Brom on Monday and it would be great to see this team get back to winning ways. I think we need to very quickly. Um, anything other than three points against West Brom on uh, Monday is going to be it's going to be very, <laughs> very difficult to deal with. But until then... Um, because it's coming up to Christmas, I'd just like to wish you and yours a very uh, happy festive season, whether you celebrate it or not. Uh, I wish you and yours uh, all the good wishes and peace and love and everything else that beer and wine brings. You know how it goes. Hail fellow, well met once you've had a, a drink or two. But honestly, thank you all as we head towards the end of another year. Thank you all very much indeed for listening. It's uh, hugely appreciated. Hope you have a great time, whatever it is you're going to do this festive season. You're eating, you're drinking, you're not eating, you're not drinking, your presents or no presents, whatever it is you do. I hope you have a great time, and I hope Arsenal make it better for you rather than <laughs> rather than worse. Um, so look, I think we'll be here, myself and James, next week at some point. We're going to have an Arscast Extra. The uh, festive season complicates things in terms of exactly when we're going to do it. Because we're not playing until Monday, we're definitely not going to have a podcast on Monday. But maybe we'll do it Tuesday or Wednesday. But, you know, keep a, keep an eye on the Twitter, at Arsblog and at Gunnerblog, and we'll give you all the details then. And to finish this evening, I'm going to leave you with uh, the Christmas song, the Christmas video that myself and James... Uh, put together this year. The old classic by Jonah Louie, which was called Stop the Cavalry. We've uh, rejigged it, revamped it, made it uh, Arsenal relevant, and this is Stop the BFG. Have a great Christmas, everyone. Take it easy. Cheers. Bye-bye. This season was looking good for once, we were doing splendidly. But went up in smoke when against Oak we lost Godran Mustafi. Bat for shit again, but I'm fit again, can you stop the BFG? I've worked on my pace, beat the O in a race, can you stop the BFG? Verder Bremen on the phone, they want me to come back home. Tell Mesa to join the queue, I'm gonna need a new deal too. Send me alone this Christmas Sesk and Robin left Arteta barely made the bench Then you had my injured knee Wearing the armband is not exactly dreamland It's the curse of the captaincy But a little voodoo won't stop it won't stop the BFG